fantastic to see you all. Why don't you grab a Bible? If you don't have a Bible already, uh, there are some on the white tables near the pillars. And if you've been coming longer than a few weeks to St. Dee's, you might have noticed the new layout, yeah? Can you make some noise if you are loving the new layout? Woo! Yeah, I think it brings us more together. So that's where the Bibles now live. And we love a Bible here at St. Dee's. We love to press in and worship. We love to seek the Lord. We love his presence, the Spirit. But we also love God's Word. So we want a Bible in every hand. So we're on page 1,158, 1158. In 1 John, chapter 1. I'm just trying to get over. Um, you may have heard the news. It might have got an announcement on your phone that... Uh, Federer lost. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just trying to get over that personally. I'm sorry, I just thought I'd share that with you. Anyone else feeling, feeling that pain? About two of us. Great. It's great to preach on a night like this. Had it last year as well. Just gutting. It's like seeing, you know, an old favorite old dog that you've grown up with, you've had for years. Do you know what I mean? And then you just see it go off the pace. And you just know that Zed, my latest dog, he just, his time has come, and it's time for a trip to the vet. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's fair. Anyway, uh, 1 John 1, chapter 1, uh, verse 5. <laughs> this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So if uh, you've been with us the last few weeks, um, you will know that we're on a mini-series uh, looking at spiritual fitness and it's a great time to join if you haven't been with us the last few weeks tonight's the perfect time to join I think we're on week three uh, and we're looking at spiritual fitness I mean we all love to get physically fit don't we as we look forward to the summer holidays uh, to focus coming up I mean let's be honest we all keep half an eye on that date for kickoff so we want to be uh, what's that poster that got some serious stick recently sort of beach body ready don't we? I mean that's, we, we all work at it we stay fit Am I right? Am, are you with me? Semi-right. Let's, no one's being honest. Okay, I'm up here being honest. Hopefully by the end of tonight, we'll all be being more honest when you come to know what I'm preaching on. But we work hard at being fit and healthy physically. So we thought, why don't we do a series on how do we get fit spiritually? And um, I don't know if we've actually looked at the question of why there is a need for spiritual disciplines. That's essentially what we've been looking at. We've looked at uh, stillness, we've looked at celebration, and I'll tell you what we're looking at in a moment. But why is there a need for discipline in the Christian life? Well, in a nutshell, it's because we don't live 
in the perfect world. We don't live in a perfect world. Why, why, the, why is there a need for gyms? It's because we don't all have perfect health. We don't all have a perfect body. We need to get ourselves trim in shape. So cast your minds back to Genesis and our first parents, Adam and Eve. What must it have been like for them? They lived in a perfect world. So in essence, what we're saying is they didn't have any need for these spiritual disciplines to progress in their spiritual life. They had it on a plate. They had open relationship with God, the Trinity. So they didn't need to work at their prayer life. They could just speak to God and hear from him. They didn't need to practice the discipline of, I don't know, Bible study. I mean, A, because they didn't have a Bible, but also because they had God's word straight to them, intravenous. They didn't need to practice celebration or stir themselves up. For, I mean, they were living in paradise, for goodness sake. I mean, how, how much more encouragement do you need to celebrate? They had it all there. They didn't need to practice disciplines. And they certainly didn't need to practice the discipline that I'm looking at tonight, which is the discipline of confession. Now that might sit initially a little heavily with some of us and think, oh gosh, he's going deep again. But this is key. And hopefully by the end of tonight, we'll all be just a little bit more excited about the blessing that confession is. Because confession isn't meant to be a heavy thing for us. We're not meant to dread it and think, oh no, I've just got to get out all my dirty laundry and just uh, it's going to be embarrassing and I want to hide. Let's just hide it away and pretend it didn't, doesn't exist. It's a blessing. It's a massive blessing as we'll come to see. But Adam and Eve, they had no need uh, for confession. They walked with this God, this God who we read in verse 5, this God who is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Just a simple statement, but how amazing if you stop to think of it. Pure, unapproachable light. Brighter than a thousand suns. That's who our God is. No hint of a shadow or darkness within him. Holy, awesome, to be feared. And yet, the amazing thing that the Bible tells us is that our first parents, Adam and Eve, human beings, made in the image of God, like us, walked with this God. Walked with him daily, in the cool of the day. They had relationship. How is this possible? Human beings and this awesome God who, who is unapproachable light. How? Well, Genesis 2, 25, I think, gives us a clue. It says, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Wow. To be naked in all senses, before each other, but also before God and feel no shame? How is that even possible? Well, it's possible because Adam and Eve at this point knew 
no darkness. There was nothing hidden in them, in their lives, in their hearts. They walked as children of light, children of their father who is light. So there was no need to confess anything because there was no sin. But then as we know, chapter three comes along, a snake appears, an apple is plucked and the rest is history. And our first parents go into hiding from being in a place of no shame, walking in the light with their father. They go into hiding in the trees, amongst the trees. When God is walking in the cool of the day, they hear his footsteps and they hide from him. And they hear his voice calling out, Adam, Adam, where are you? Where are you? A question that rings down through the ages. And in response to that question, we see in Genesis 3, the first confessions recorded in the Bible, which is basically a blame game between Adam and, Adam and Eve. And so it begins, this practice of confessing our sins. But not before Adam and Eve had done their best to get off the hook and avoid doing it altogether. And isn't that just like the world we live in? I mean... Doesn't the world we live in love to pretend that everything's okay, to shovel everything under the carpet, to avoid taking responsibility whenever possible? I mean, we're the Facebook generation. I know we go on and on about it, but it is so, it's such a good illustration. Facebook or smug book, as a friend of mine terms it. I mean, we all know what that's, that means, don't we? Smug book. Where it's just like, it's a sort of just creation of, of fictional lives that we're all leading or want to present ourselves as leading. It's like, here am I. Look at my life. Look at my selfie. Look at my selection of photographs. Carefully selected. Smug book. Putting our best foot forward, our best face forward. Or Twitter, Instagram, you know, where we take photos of ourselves, photos of what we're up to, photos of our activity. And if it's a really sweet one, if we're really wanting to show off, we do hashtag no filter. Do you know what I mean? No filter. I mean, we live in a filtered age. But all too often, the great tragedy is what gets filtered is the truth. And yet, how much do we all long for just that? The truth. To truly know another and be known by them. That's what our heart longs for. That's what relationship is all about with one another, but also with God. And if we want that, then it's going to require us being open, being honest, being naked emotionally with one another and with God. And ultimately, that is what confession is all about. And that's why it's such a challenge. Because being open, being honest, being vulnerable is not the direction that our society is, he is headed. Showing weakness, being unafraid to admit mistakes, to put one's hand up and take responsibility. It's not something we see happening every day. So it is a challenge. It is counter-cultural. 
but it is also the best news possible if we embrace it. Because confession is all about relationship. It's all about relationship. So I just want to make a couple of points tonight, and there's going to be a, a familiar few letters which you might see cropping up to help you remember. So uh, essentially, they're going to be P and R. I'll, I'll walk you. Shall I walk you through it? Um, so the first point is confession paints a picture of reality. So there's the P and the R. You'll see the pattern as we go on. I'm so thrilled with this. I, I think I've nailed it tonight. So confession paints a picture of reality. That's what confession is about. It is about wrestling with truth. It is about being completely honest, about being upfront and unashamed. You know, I, I had a text this week from a friend who shall re remain nameless unless I accidentally say her name. Oh, you now know it's a her. But she said, um, Pat, I need prayer. I was like, flip. I got this text out of the blue. I need your prayers. I was like, what is it? She's like, I did something awful this week. Um, she's like, I went on this Christian dating site. That wasn't it, by the way. <laughs> I went on this Christian dating site. Fully encouraged that. Uh, and this guy got in touch with me. And uh, I ended up going for a date with me. And he totally said he was six foot three. And when I turned up, he was literally five foot two. And I lasted 15 minutes. And then I just walked out. I just walked out on him. I feel awful. Will you pray for me? And I was like, well, good for you, actually. I mean, you know. And also good for him because he took a punt. You know, he knew what he wanted. He took a risk. He was like, I'm going to just get my foot in the door. I'm going to give myself a chance and let the personality just do its work. He got 15 minutes. Um, because the problem with the truth is that the truth can't dress any other way. Six foot three, just five foot two, just cannot look six foot Three. And with confession, it is all about coming as we are. You know, spiritually, I think so much of the time, and I empathize, I see this in myself down the years, and it's a pattern that continues. So much of the time, we want to present ourselves as six foot three, you know, beach body ready spiritually, when really, we're more a five foot two, if we're honest, on a good day, with the wind at our backs. Do you know what I mean? And confession paints a picture of reality. It helps us get real with God, with ourselves, with each other. And that is what the gospel is all about. You know, the gospel is the simplest thing in the world. It's a message that God loves you. God loves this world, but we mess up, we make mistakes, we sin, and we need his forgiveness. And because of Jesus, that's possible. So just accept what Jesus has done, humble yourselves, come to him, trust in him, and all will be well. That, that's it. It's just putting your hand up and admitting you made a mistake, admitting your weakness, admitting you're a sinner. But the truth is that that is the hardest thing for human beings to do. Have you noticed that with your friends, with your family? How hard it is for that simple message to break in because they are some of the most uncomfortable truths 
to own the fact that I am a sinner. I am weak. I need God's mercy. And yet when we own those truths, when we confess those things freely, that is the entry point to the Christian life. That leads us to the cross where relationship opens up again with that holy God who is light. As we come into the light, we are united with the one who is light. But you know, it's not just a one-stop shop. It doesn't stop there because John here is writing into a situation where there are false teachers abounding. He's writing to Christians and he's telling them, this isn't something you do at the beginning of your Christian life. Just say, yep, I'm a sinner. Great, I'm in. Now on I go. And let's pretend I'm six foot three. He says, the Christian life is a confessing life. It's about walking it out. It's about you keep going. You keep humbling yourself. You keep putting your hand in the air, taking responsibility, saying, yep, Lord, I dropped the ball again. And you keep receiving that grace and mercy over and over. Because there were teachers at the time, they were known as Gnostics. And they came along saying there was some special knowledge. And if you had this knowledge to the right degree, then you would be cleansed of, of all sin. And even of your sinful nature to the extent that they were denying that they'd ever sinned. Or that they even had a, des a desire, a nature within them that led them to sin. This is what John is teaching against. You might think, well, that's 2,000 years ago. But actually, I hear it all the time in our culture. I hear it in my family. I've got a brother. He's kind of cool, a bit of a hippie. He's out there, spiritualist, sort of new agey. His, his big thing is like, yeah, of course, we're all part of the divine, Tricky. Yeah, cool. you know, I'm God, you're God, we're all God. You know, we're perfect. Don't be fooled, that thinking is out there in the world today. So John's teaching to his first hearers, his first readers, is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And John is saying, keep confessing. Keep going to God. Keep putting your hand up because you're not perfect yet. You're not back in Eden with Adam and Eve yet. You're not in the new Jerusalem of Revelation yet. You're in between those times. You're still here. And the discipline of confession, of being real with God and each other is required. So John is countering this, this other picture of reality that other teachers are painting. And he's saying the real picture of reality is to side with the truth. It's to side with the holy God. It's to put your hand in the air and say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Alleluia. Yes, simultaneously a saint. All of it mixing in together in some beautiful way. And I'm unafraid and unashamed to be upfront about who I am and the mistakes that I make. That's what John is encouraging his hearers to do. Verse eight, he simply says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Confession, those times when you perhaps speak to God alone in your room, those times when you call up a prayer partner or you meet together for your accountability times, meet as a prayer triplet, whatever you do, those times when you get real and you don't just say, oh yeah, struggling a bit with um, a few things. But when you get specific and you name those things, you name those sins, you name those instances, it's the most humbling thing 
the most painful thing you can do, but also the most affirming when you come out the other side. When you do that, you are siding with the truth. And every time that we confess, every time we choose to be honest, to go with that picture of reality, we are reminding ourselves, we're doing two things. We're reminding ourselves of our own imperfection, which is good for our pride, let's be honest. But secondly, we are upholding his glory. And it's all about his glory, not ours. So confession reminds us of our own imperfection, but it also upholds his glory and brings him praise because he stooped low to redeem us, to reach down and pick us up and make us great. And as we humble ourselves and go low, he comes to pick us up and raise us up. That's the mystery of the Christian life. But it requires us going low, humbling ourselves. And if we deny that, if we seek to uh, put on our personal profile, I'm a six foot three, I'm fine, thanks. Then, as John says here, we make God out to be a liar. We don't want to do that. We want to live in the truth. Amen? We want to walk in the light. We want to be real and to experience the grace of the real God. That's the healthiest, healthiest place to be. So confession paints a picture of reality, but it also provides a pathway to righteousness. Yeah? Got that? PNR? Okay, fair enough. So there were some teachers in the church at the time who would claim, and there are some teachers today, that once you're a Christian, once you're saved, there's no need to confess your sin because when God looks at you, he sees you clothed in Christ. So he's like, yes, I, you know, I am delighted in you. I am pleased with you. I love you. I accept you. And yes, there is wonderful truth in that, but that isn't the whole truth. And if you stop there, then it is to misunderstand justification and sanctification. So a little bit of theology here just to help us to understand. I'm sure most of you do. But justification is how we stand ultimately in God's sight. At the end of days, when we go, when we die, when we stand before God or whenever, should he come again, when we stand before him, to be declared righteous in God's sight is to be justified. That happens the moment that you begin your relationship with God. So when I was 18 years of age, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't come from a Christian family. I began asking questions. A friend took me to a camp, heard a talk on the resurrection, went back to my room, prayed a prayer to the ceiling. God, I think you're there. Come into my life. I give you everything. The Spirit of God filled me. I was reborn by God's Spirit. Life changed. And I went from a life here. Let's imagine this stage is a life before Christ. I went from just walking around, stumbling around in the darkness, doing all kinds, just doing, doing my thing, you know, my, sinning, just, you know, a bit of lust here, a bit of greed here, a bit of anger there, you know, whatever it was. I was just a sinful mess, but I was in the darkness. When I prayed that prayer to Jesus and I was saved, I was justified, I was declared righteous in God's sight, I moved across this step is a threshold into glory. You're all in glory. I'm in the darkness. 
I pray that prayer, that one-time confession, Lord, have mercy on me, Pat Allerton, a sinner. In that moment, I trust in Jesus. I cross the threshold from darkness into light. I am a child of God forever in this dwelling place. That way is shut. I have been justified. Do you see? It's a one-stop shop. It's a one-time prayer. You cannot repeat that. You cannot lose it. You cannot go backwards. You're a child of God forever, declared righteous. That's how God sees you ultimately. That's justification. But sanctification is the adventure that begins now. Having been born again, waking up the next day, yes, Jesus is alive. I'm a new being. I feel completely different. I'm on cloud nine for a few weeks and then, you know, the same patterns, you know, rock up and I'm like, I don't know, I watched Wimbledon and Djokovic beating fan. I'm like, get lost. Anger rises up towards Djokovic. I'm like, oh, it's a bit of anger there. You know, go out on the street and just walking down and just, I'm not going to say what happens on the street, but you can imagine, you know, walking past people, you look at people, maybe you look too long at certain people, and you're just like, oh, gosh, haven't changed there completely. Your sinful life, your sinful patterns continue. Sanctification is about putting your hand up at those moments, saying, Lord, I know I'm your child. I know I've nothing to fear, but I'm still messing up here. Does that make sense? We still make mistakes. We still get it wrong. Just because we're a child of God, just because we've crossed the threshold, doesn't mean we don't say sorry and say, Father, sorry, I haven't, yeah, I haven't brought glory to you in that. I haven't lived up to your name, to all that you're worth in that. Sanctification is the journey from here, walking ever into the glory of Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus with each passing day. Does that make sense? And it will take a lot of us putting up our hands a lot of the time saying, yep, Lord, did it again. Fell short, slipped up, made a mistake, whatever it is. But that's great. And that's what God encourages. That's what Jesus encourages. In John 13, you remember when he's uh, in the upper room with the disciples and he does his most incredible, humble act. And he chooses to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter... <laughs> I love Peter. I just empathize so much with Peter. He's just bold. He goes for it and he gets it horribly wrong and then sometimes horribly right and he's just awesome. Um, and so he's like, Lord, no, you will never wash my feet. And he's like, no, 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 Pete, I, I have to wash your feet. If I don't, you'll have nothing to do with me. And he's like, well, not just my feet then, you know, give me a hair wash and scrub my back and just all over, thanks. Jesus is like, no, Peter, look, you've had a bath. You've had a bath, you've been cleansed. And a man who's had a bath doesn't need to have a bath again. He just needs to wash his feet. Peter, you've been declared righteous in my sight. You've crossed this threshold, but now you're in the, in the realm of sanctification. Now you're just walking the walk with me as your Lord, with God as your Father. And as you walk, you will pick up dirt. You will scuff up your shoes. You will get mud on your feet, you will have to have a foot wash regularly, daily. And in that story, in that account, Jesus is giving us a model of what confession is, how sanctification works, that we can be simultaneously both righteous in God's sight. I am a child of God, but also one who needs to keep confessing and saying, Lord, I've done it again. I need a foot wash. And Jesus is totally okay with that. 
He's totally okay with that. He invites that. He calls for that. And that will require each of us keeping short accounts, the discipline of looking back on our days, just thinking, how, how's my walk been? I'm called to walk in the light. What have I done today? What have I thought? What have I said? What have I done? Oh, yeah, that wasn't great, was it? Yes, sorry. Sorry, Lord. Forgive me. How would you be more like Jesus next time? And you can go back as many times as you like. It's keeping short accounts. And the beauty of it is that confession is a sign of our being followers of Jesus. It's not a sign of us doubting God's love and his acceptance of us. It's a sign of our confidence that he does accept us, that we've got nothing to fear, that he's a good father who, yes, wants to discipline us, wants to shape us into the likeness of Jesus, his son. But he's a loving father. He's not a disciplinarian. We don't have to fear him when we come to him. He is ready and willing to forgive. Or as this passage says, he is faithful and just. Faithful because he promises to forgive forever all who come to him in faith and ask for their sins to be forgiven. And just. Well, this just blew me away a few years ago when I first crossed this. Why is he just? What, what has this got to do with justice? Confessing and seeing that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, it's to do with justice because Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. Every sin that we take to God in confession, that we ask him to forgive, God makes an issue of justice to make sure that we are forgiven. Why? Because his son has already paid the price. And he will not make another pay the same price again. Isn't that amazing? God's justice, his honor, is at stake to make sure that when we confess, that sin is taken away because Jesus on the cross paid for it all. That's the confidence we have, bringing it to him. He's not umming and ahhing over each one. He's not up there just deciding like, well, it's the fourth time today, Pat. So um, let me give this a bit of thought. I'll get back to you in a couple of hours. No, no, no. He's like, this was dealt with 2,000 years ago. He's like, yep, he paid for that one too. You are cleansed. You are innocent. You are free. Truly, if God is for us, who can be against us? Confession provides a pathway to righteousness. And as I close, just finally, confession enables personal reconciliation. Personal reconciliation. Verse 7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I've always found that word fellowship a little bit weird. Anyone else with me? It's just so Christian, isn't it? I mean, it's alongside sort of vicar, parish, parochial, any Christian word, basically. I mean, fellowship, what, what, is even, what even is that? But it is something beautiful. 
It is something deeper than just friendship, I think. It is a walking together in the intimacy of the Spirit. When you walk, alight, walk alongside another one with whom you do life. I hate, that, I hate that expression as well. Doing life together. Yeah, <laughs> most people with me. Can't stop using it though. When you do life, when you share life, when you, when you honestly open up your heart, you're honest to another, you get true fellowship. Now the thing with this confession thing is you can do it privately. You can do it by yourself in your room, just you and the Lord, of course. This passage doesn't, it's not a command. It doesn't tell us to do it with others. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and God will forgive you and heal you. That is a command. It does call for us to confess to one another. What I want to encourage is for each of you to consider finding a prayer partner, finding someone in your life with whom you can be totally transparent. That's what this is all about. It's all about relationship. Confession is about open airwaves, walking like Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, just totally naked before God. Adam before Eve, Eve before Adam. But wouldn't it be amazing if, if you also knew that someone else, another human being in the here and now, knew your story, knew your comings and goings, knew your ins and outs, knew your darkest secrets, and yet still accepted you. Wouldn't that be powerful? Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian, he was around at the time of Hitler, German pastor, opposed Hitler, eventually went to his death, was executed uh, by the Nazi regime for taking a stand against Hitler. He did a lot of thinking about confession and its place, particularly about confessing to another. And I was powerfully moved when reading some of his stuff. Some of the stuff he said was like, the, pa it's, the power of sin lies in it being in darkness. As long as it is in darkness, it has power. But as soon as you bring it out into the light, it loses all of its power because it is shown for what it is, a lie and something that has been dealt with forever by Jesus at the cross. But he also speaks about the power of confessing your sin before another Christian brother or sister. Because what he says is in that moment, that sacred moment, and you need to be wise about who you choose to be that sort of partner. In that moment, that person represents to you or to me, Jesus Christ himself. They represent the whole church. And when you speak out your sin, whatever it might be, when you dare to verbalize it, what you've been afraid to even utter, even secretly before God, when you verbalize it before God and another, and yet you see their face remains unchanged. You see the love and acceptance in their eyes. You see the grace and mercy that they have towards you. You hear the words that they speak out over your life. Pat, Sam, Heather. It's all right. You are forgiven. You are accepted. Jesus has paid the price. He's taken it. You can leave it now.
you're free. When you hear those words and see that physical response, that has the power to break chains. What we were singing about, what we were praying about earlier. Physical, verbal confession to one another has so much power, but it will take a discipline. It will take courage. And I encourage you, if you don't already have that person, that prayer partner, that may be prayer triplet, then I encourage you, find one. Find someone. Find a couple of people. Covenant together, to journey together, to fellowship together, and do life together, because it will be such a blessing to your life now and in the future. Confession is about relationship. It paints a picture of reality. It provides a pathway to righteousness. It enables personal reconciliation with God, but also with the church community. We long to know and be known. That's what confession is all about. Shall we stand?